0: Does, does your big fat mouth get you in trouble sometimes? You know, I, I would like to uh, start out just by saying uh, thank you to everyone who participated in some way with the Pastor Appreciation Month thing. Uh, the gesture was wonderful, the gift was generous and wonderful. The notes were really, really nice and kind, and I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I want to say that that kind of stuff. It, it matters. Uh, maybe a real small deal to you, but it, it matters. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I was, this is just something I was reading this week. Um, this is real current information. It says Members of the clergy now suffer from hypertension and depression at rates higher than most Americans. In the last decade, their life expectancy has fallen, and pastors carry one of the top three suicide rates of any profession. of active pastors are divorced. 23% have been fired or pressured to resign at least once in their careers. 25% don't know where to turn when they have a family or personal issue. 33% felt burned out within their first five years of ministry. 33% say that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 40% of pastors and 47% of spouses suffer from burnout and unrealistic expectations. 50% 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 57% would leave the pastorate if they had another vocational option. 70% don't have any close friends. 75% re- report severe stress causing anguish, worry, anger, depression, and alienation. 80% of pastors say they have insufficient time with their spouse. 90% feel unqualified or poorly prepared for ministry. 90% work more than 50 hours a week. feel under pressure to have a perfect family. 1,500 pastors leave their ministry each month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. But I will tell you, because of God and because of you guys, that does not apply to me. It doesn't apply to us. Um, And so I I can just say thank you to God, which I do all the time, and thank you to you, which I'm doing right now. Uh, I appreciate you more than you can know. So, thank you. Um, our words, our words in our big fat mouths have incredible power. They have the power to give life. Our words have the power to take life. Jesus says these words in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> Say those words with me. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, in this series, we're going to talk about the words that we speak, and we're going to get on the road to making them right. Um, and somebody asked me, how long is this series going to go? Well, as long as it takes, maybe four or five years? <laughs> Probably not. Um, <laughs> but we're going to get this right. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about the problem of lying. We're going to talk about the problem of gossip. We're going to talk about the issue of criticizing. And today we're going to talk about complaining, complaining. Anybody here besides me ever been guilty of complaining? Some of you, the rest of you are lying right here in church on Sunday morning. We're, all right, um, all of us have. I mean, some of you have, have been complaining this morning already before we even got here. Some of you are thinking, right now, why does he always ask rhetorical questions? I hate when he does that. I hate it. So turn to somebody around you, a couple people around you, and say, I need to hear this. Not you need to hear this. I need to hear this. All right, here's a true story. Uh, there was a guy who came home from work one day, and his uh, wife had brought home a pet monkey. They hadn't talked about this at all, didn't discuss it. She just bought it and brought it home. Well, this guy didn't want a monkey, and he was complaining about it. And he was kind of a complainer by nature, and his wife didn't really like that about him. So she was defensive already. So in his complaining mode, he starts grilling her. He says, okay, uh, where's this monkey going to eat? She says, at the table with us. <laughs> oh, where's this monkey supposed to sleep? In the bed with us. He goes, oh. What about the smell? She said, well, I got used to it. Maybe the monkey will too. <laughs> complaining. Anyway, that's our subject today. I want to talk to you about the problem of complaining, and it's rampant. It's rampant. If you don't believe me, listen to this. This is just recently from the Associated Press. A man who robbed a Wendy's in Atlanta was so put off by how, how little cash he was able to steal that he called the restaurant twice to complain. That's, AP goes on and says, that's better than what police say Arthur Bundridge did. Bundridge barked into a, barged into a bank in Syracuse, New York and demanded $20,000. When he got home, he discovered he'd been shortchanged. And outraged, he stormed back to the bank to complain. And that's when he was arrested, No kidding. These are real complaints given to travel agents just recently. One says, on my holiday to India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food. (laughs) You chose India. (laughs) Someone else complains. uh, Following a trip to a national theme park, one angry woman complained to a staff member that the sun was so hot it melted her ice cream. Last one. Woman on an airplane complained to the flight attendant that all the clouds in the sky were ruining her kid's game of I spy. <laughs> okay, the complaining thing has kind of gotten away from us a little bit. <laughs> all right. <laughs> when I think about complaining in the Bible, uh, my mind immediately kind of scrolls back to the, the, the children of Israel, the God's people, when they're in the desert. Um, They were in captivity for quite a long time, and when they were there, they complained, they complained, and complained. And I understand that they're they're in captivity, but then God does for them miracle after miracle after miracle. He did ten different miraculous signs through plagues in order to turn the heart of Pharaoh, and then He freed them. He parts the Red Sea for their release. He drowns Pharaoh's army in the water as it rushes back in. In the desert, He feeds the people with bread from heaven, with water that comes from rocks. During the time in the desert, their shoes and their clothes never, never wore out. Yet, what did God's people do? They whined. They griped, They complained and continued to complain. In fact, it's almost comical. Here's how it's documented in Exodus chapter 14. The people all say to Moses there, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by, done by, by bringing us out of Egypt? This is the revisionist history we all love so much. They're saying, we were so happy when we were slaves. We were so happy, and yet you bring us out here in freedom. and all. They go on in this verse. It says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to sound like that. I hate the sound of complaining. And to their point, Moses says something to them that ought to... Kind of kick you into a stunned silence because he said this about complaining next chapter you're not grumbling against us he says but against the lord you're not grumbling against us you're not complaining about us this is against the lord he's telling the people that their complaining is actually complaining about god so imagine if every time we complain it's not just about the circumstances not just about the traffic it's not just about another person But every time we complain, what if in God's eyes we're complaining about him, against him? Maybe that's the way he sees this. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What is it that you complain about most? You got something. What is it that you complain about most? Let it just kind of rise to the surface. What is it? Is it your schedule? I got to be here. I got to be there. Whatever. Is it your job? Do you whisper way too often, oh, I just hate my job. I hate my job. So, your marriage? Some people might complain that they're not married. Then you do get married and you complain about your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you complain that money is tight or the house is too small. Your boss drives you crazy or the meetings are just too boring. Or maybe it's small stuff that you complain about a lot. The weather's bad. Wi Fi is slow. Nothing good on TV. You want to know the truth? problem is not really the traffic. It's not really the weather. The problem is not really that Netflix hasn't come out with new content. The problem is that we've taken our eyes off of our good God and placed them squarely upon us, our stuff, and our issues. And that is what leads directly to this issue of complaining. It's a curse we're going to look at in a minute is a verse of scripture that shines the light of truth upon complaining. And it might make you a little bit uncomfortable with its clarity because you can't hide from it. You can't hide from it. So if you choose to continue to be a complainer, you'll do so with the full knowledge that you are thumbing your nose at God's word. And I don't think there's anybody in this room that wants to do that. Listen, if there's anybody, anybody ever who had a right to complain it was probably the Apostle Paul. I and mean, the top thing on his bucket list, what he wanted more than anything else was what he was called to do. And that was to, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So he had this, this thought in his head, this desire in his heart to go to Rome as a preacher because he knew if he could reach the leaders in Rome, then it would impact the entire world from there. He just knew it. It was an incredible opportunity. Well, he did go to Rome, but not as a preacher. He went as a prisoner a prisoner. And not just a prisoner, but he was chained up, locked up for about two years, chained 24 hours a day to a different Roman guard awaiting this very, very likely execution. And I'll be honest, put me in that place, I would be complaining in very short order. This isn't fair. God, why'd you let this happen? All I've done is serve you. I've been faithful. I mean, if I'm Paul, I'm probably thinking like, well, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been snake-bitten. I've been left for dead. All I've done is serve you. And now here I am in prison. Supposed to be preaching and now I'm a prisoner. The floor is hard, the food is awful. This Roman guard chained to me smells so bad makes me want to puke on him right now. That's what will be going on through my head. But instead of complaining, instead of griping and whining, instead of telling God why God got it all wrong, this is what Paul writes. To the, uh, in a letter to the believers in the city of Philippi. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 14, Paul says these words to the Philippian believers, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Say those words with me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another translation says this, do everything without complaining. And he goes on. He's saying, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation that likes to complain all the time. But I just added that. That's a pretty high standard. He's saying wherever you go, whatever you do, do it without grumbling, without complaining. Now, there's a lot of spiritual reasons why we should live without complaining. And I'll get to the spiritual reasons, but there are some practical reasons as well. And I want to take a couple minutes and just look at those. A guy by the name of uh, Dr. Travis Bradbury wrote a great book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he's done a lot of research on this issue of complaining. And what he says is that repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do, guess what? More complaining. In other words, the more negative you are, the more likely your brain is going to be triggered to continue complaining. All this negativity. He and others talk about what it means to have this negative mindset. And before, before long, we enter into what, what they have called a confirmation Bias, In other words, you expect something to be bad, and you pretty much get what you expect. Heard a woman say, all men are losers, all men are jerks. And you know what? It may be true, but anyway. (laughs) 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 That becomes your kind of preconceived idea. So you go into the situation, you meet a guy, and immediately think, you start looking for all the bad. It happens all the time. Rather than seeing the good, you see the bad immediately. This kinda is what happened in the mindset of the Israelites in the desert. They were negative when they were in captivity, but then when they were freed, they were still negative because this negative mindset trained their minds to continue to think negatively. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna go through life wired to see the bad first. There's plenty of bad in our world. I wanna train my mind to find that which is good, that which is hopeful and pleasant and helpful, instead of always focusing on what's negative. I mean, certainly you remember our banner verse from our 200-week series, Reboot Your Mind. Remember that? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, when you look at the Apostle Paul, the way that he lived and the way that he taught, his life would constantly communicate these two very, very big ideas. And this is really the heart of the message today. Paul would have said something like this. If you can change your circumstances, if there's something negative and you can do something about it, then do something about it. If there's something negative, if there's something that's not right, it's something that you wish you could change and you have the capacity to do so, then do something about it. In other words, you're not going to go through life pretending everything's okay when it's not. It's not sin to notice stuff that's not right. What's wrong is to see stuff, complain about it, complain about it, complain about it, and never do anything about it. It's kind of like Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Nehemiah, if you remember, he he recognized that the walls of Jerusalem were down and the city was in crumbles, and he was really upset about it. But you know what he didn't do? Didn't complain. Didn't whine about it. Oh, man, this is the worst. I can't believe it. Why does anybody do something about this? No, he doesn't he do that. He does something about it. Now, if something gives you a sort of righteous discontent, if something's negative and you have the capacity to do something about it, talk to God. Do something about it. Don't complain about it. Don't just post negative stuff on social media about it. Get up and do something about it. Then I believe Paul would follow up with the second thought, which is this. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. You can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. If you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective, change how you think about it, and change your words and how you speak about it. What's so powerful to me is how Paul uh, addresses this verbally. Remember, he's chained to a Roman soldier, He's awaiting his possible execution. His dream is to go preach the gospel to the world, and now he is locked up in prison. And look what he says in uh, Philippians 2. It says, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Remember, he's in prison. Rejoice with me. Now, you might hear that whole phrase and think, What's he talking about? This drink offering? How is he being poured out as a drink offering? Well, there's one Greek word there that's translated into this whole phrase, and it's this word spendo, which which really means to spend it all, to be spent for. This word would have been really, really powerful to the listeners of Paul. It described what the priest would do when he was making a sacrifice to God with a, a lamb or some type of animal, and would make it a burnt offering on the altar of fire. Then they would take a drink offering, which was um, usually a... Their most prized liquid, most expensive or hard to come by liquid, which often was wine, sometimes would be honey because honey was expensive and hard to come by. They take this costly drink and they would pour it on top of the burnt offering right there. That's their drink offering. Now if you think about it, you put liquid on something really hot, some of you guys have done this while you're grilling, put something, on, on, on a, something that's burning on a grill, what happens? The, it gets filled with smoke and the smoke just kind of rises up. This is their offering. The smoke would rise as kind of an incense to God. Paul says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, yet I will rejoice. (laughs) Now, I always thought when he was talking about being poured out as a drink offering, I always thought he was referring to his martyrdom, his ultimate uh, death when he would give his life. But looking at closely at how this verb is used, I, I now think he's not talking about his martyrdom. He's actually talking about his life, like his everyday life, his daily life that was a living sacrifice to God. Matter of fact, he says these words in Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship is not just lifting our hands to a holy God, it's not just singing songs to a God that we love and wanna honor, it, it, it includes all that But worship really at its core is giving your very life, wherever you are, whoever you are, at home, work, traffic, in life, offering yourself as a sacrifice to God. This is an offering to God. So I'm thinking about this, thinking, how could Paul be in prison, be chained up 24 hours a day to a different guard all the time? How could he be in that position and offer anything to God? What does he have to give? I'll tell you how he can do that. Paul was not the center of his own story. Jesus was the center of Paul's story. And because Jesus was the center of his story, he can take these negative circumstances and change his perspective about it in such a way that it actually changes what God is able to do through his negative circumstances. Because the posture that he takes here. This is why Paul says this. And don't miss the power of what he's saying. Remember, he's chained up to a different guard, I mean, all day long, 24 hours a day, every eight hours, he's got a new guard coming. And here's what he says, Philippians 1, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me here in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. He's not complaining, obviously. He's changed his perspective, and he's seen the power of God. He's seen the goodness of God in the midst of it. He's saying, what's happened to me has actually been used to move the message of Jesus forward. He goes on in this thought. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Everybody knew he was in chains. Say I'm in chains for Christ. You know what he's saying there? And this makes me laugh. He is saying, You think I'm the prisoner here? <laughs> Let me tell you who the who the real prisoner is. Every eight hours I get fresh meat. Every eight hours, I get a new set of ears to preach to. A new Roman guard is chained to my arm for an eight-hour sermon that I get to preach every day to a captive audience. You think I'm the prisoner? You have no idea. God's using all this. He says, all of this garbage. He's using it all to advance the good news, which is what I wanted all along. LOL. (laughs) LOL. In other words, there's lots of reasons why I could probably complain about all this, but since I can't change my circumstances, I've changed my perspective. I'm seeing that God, I am seeing it clearly, that God works through all things to bring about good according to his purpose. Oh, that's good. I ought to write that down. That'll preach someday. That'll preach. Now, I I don't know who this is speaking to, but if you're in a place that you don't like, recognize that God still has a plan. Still has a purpose. Still has an assignment for you. Right now, it doesn't look like what you would choose. It doesn't look that way. But it doesn't mean that God can't use it to bring about the very best that he has for your life and for your call and for your joy because he'll do that. Think about it. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. So I'll ask you, what are you chained to? What do you feel chained to? Don't say my husband. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it's a tough relationship. Maybe you got something tough going on. Maybe it's a job situation. You don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you're chained to a financial problem. You're in a hole that you don't know how you're going to get out of. Maybe it's a health issue. The list can go on and on and on. Let me just say this. If you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can pray, pray. If you can work hard, work hard. you can seek some counsel or get some help seek counsel get help if you can do something about it do something but if you can't change your circumstances if you don't have the capacity to do that change your perspective change the way you look at it change the way you think about it choose to change the way you think about it and change your words when you speak about it how do you do it well just recognize this friends you are not the center of the story. You don't have to be the center of the story. When Jesus is the center of your story, it changes everything. And when you change your perspective like this, you find God like maybe you've never found him before. It's like David in the Old Testament. David had a lot, and he had a lot going for him. He also had some, some serious troubles. I mean, big troubles. But in a moment of glimpsing the goodness of God, he says these words in Psalm 103. He says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. Let everything in me give praise to God. Listen to these words. May I never forget the good things he does for me. May I never, say that last sentence with me. May I never forget the good things he does for me. So see his goodness in your life, even now. See his blessings right through the immediate pain that you might be experiencing. What does God do? He forgives all my sin, heals my diseases. He redeems me from death, crowns me with love and with mercy. What does my God do? He fills my life with good things. Let all that I am, praise the Lord. I don't know who this is speaking to, but maybe you've got some difficult stuff going on in your life right now. If you can change something, do it. If you can change it, do it. But if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. Choose to not just look at what's wrong. Choose to look at what's right. Choose to find God in the midst of what's happening. His goodness. See His grace. Experience His forgiveness. See His power. See His goodness. And let the Holy Spirit carry you when you're weak. Because God says these words, my strength is perfected in your weakness. This is an opportunity to find him like you maybe have never found him before. Find God there. Don't whine, don't complain, don't just stare at your garbage. Find God there. And he can do in you what he did the apostle Paul. God's no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. You can't change it. You can't change your circumstances. Change your perspective. do not you bow your heads and we'll pray? Lord, we're grateful that you you know where we are in our lives. You know everything about it. You know the situations of my life better than I do. You know the situation that everybody here is going through better than they do. Lord, help us to get our eyes up off of ourselves and to find you, and allow you to speak to us to breathe new life into us to direct us, Lord, and give us the life that we need. God, I pray specifically, Lord, especially for those that are really struggling with something deep that tears at their soul. Help them to find you, Lord. Be near to them. Touch them. Help them lift their eyes up off their circumstances and find you even right now in the midst of the difficulty. And help them, Lord, to trust you to do what they cannot do on their own. Thank you for being so near to us. We love you, God. You are good. While your heads are bowed, let me just ask you this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just you, you've never really made this relationship with God right. Maybe you're not sure how to do that. Maybe you've danced around receiving Christ personally for a long time. Maybe it's time for you to cross that line of faith. Maybe today is that day. He's inviting you, he's calling out to you. He loves you. He wants to give you brand new life in Jesus. He wants to cleanse away your past and give you new life. And if that's you, if he, that's you this morning. If that's what you want. You want to get this right, maybe for the very first time. Maybe it's been off kilter for a lo- longer than you can remember, and you want to get that right today. If you want me to pray for you about this, just slip your hand up real quick and put it back down again. I just want to see it so I can pray for you, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You are near. You are here with us even now. Thank you for challenging the hearts of people. Thank you for comforting the hearts of people. Lord, help us to endeavor in our own hearts to find your very, very best for our lives, Lord. Our life is found in you. We know this. We believe this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, why don't you stand? If you are here and uh, you need uh, prayer for something, uh, maybe there's a burden on your heart. You want to talk to somebody, you can talk to me. You can talk to one of the staff members, one of our leaders. Uh, We're we're happy to to take some time and, and share with you and bring God's best to bear in your life. Okay? Let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.